Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. I'm reading from Luke chapter 12 tonight, and I'm actually going to be spending more time on the second part. Please take your worship guide and follow along. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink or be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, 
and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, bless us as we study your word, that you may receive glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Fifty-one years ago, when I was a student intern, pastoral intern up in Grand Island, New York, that summer uh, at the Bible Presbyterian Church, I, uh, I had many great fine expressions of joy working with the people there, and one of them was George Wellsford and his wife, Eva. George was an elder in the church, and uh, he served well, he and his wife, for multi-ministry there for many, many years, working in the community, working uh, in the church, VBS, and Sunday school. And uh, they had a, a very modest house and a very modest lifestyle and uh, a very good, upstanding brother in the Lord. Unlike the uh, brothers that we just read about, and I was told to have a reasonably short message, so I'm going to condense a lot so you don't freeze to death. <laughs> but uh, the brothers that Jesus used as an illustration to stop the argument right away, the time of judgment for Christ is coming someday, but this was not his moment. And... Uh, so he pushed off what the local people and what the local courts should do. But he followed that with the tag after the parable about being aware of covetousness. Both those people arguing about inheritance were greedy. I have a friend who, years ago, when his parents died, one of his relatives uh, absconded with all the goodies that were really good in the house. And the other inheritors hardly had anything of real, real, real value. The heart is greedy. And uh, that's why the Lord said, uh, you, be careful. The courts can deal with that. But your life depends on the observance and understanding of the 10th commandment. And that is, thou shalt not covet. I was checking our book of church order and our, our church uh, guidance on the description of the Tenth Commandment. There's two parts to it. First part is, should not, you should not covet. The duties of this is full contentment with our condition and charitable frame of our whole soul to our neighbor with inward affection for their good. Think about that. But negatively, not coveting forbids this. Discontentment with our estate, envying and grieving the good of our neighbors. 
pretty tough, huh? You know what the next lesson is after that? It is this. Is any man able to perfectly keep the commandments? The answer is no man of himself or any grace in this life to keep perfectly, but does daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Oh, how important was the warning of the Lord to be careful. Take care. Watch out. Beware of greed. The rich fool of the Lord's example was very glad in himself. About a dozen times he refers to himself in the first person. All about himself. And uh, the sad thing is he forgot God. His soul was poor. He was euphoric over his own stuff, but his soul was poor. Some of you know I have children ministering in England, in the United Kingdom. And uh, several years ago, we went to visit, and uh, we ate at a burger joint. And uh, Matt, our son, said, uh, Dad, this is reasonable cheap place but look across the street and there across the street was a club for all the super soccer players they call it football there and he said dad take a look and I looked and he recognized them but I didn't recognize them there were about 10 cars out there and they were McLarens and Ferraris and Lamborghinis Lamborghinis cost about $300,000 and they just pulled up there into the club and enjoyed themselves. This world has a lot to offer if one yields to greed. I heard years ago a story I read of an American that was walking the streets of New York. And he was walking with a Native American. And the Native American said, Hey, stop. Do you hear that bird singing? <laughs> and the guy said, No, I don't. I don't hear any bird. Just hear people rushing out. No, I know. I, I hear a bird, definitely. And he still couldn't hear it. So the Indian took out a coin, flipped it in the air, and let it tingle down. And everybody nearby stopped because they heard, they heard the coin hit. <laughs> That's what we are like. We hear the tingle of the ring of money. Sometimes, I've, over the years, I've been asked about lottery can a Christian do the lottery? And I have a silly answer. I might even say, yes, you can, and you can, and I give you my permission to play the lottery on one condition. You give it all away. You know what happens? <laughs> well, you know what happens, don't you? That's our greed coming in. Sure, give it all away. And the Lord essentially said that, didn't he, to the rich young ruler. He gave the commandments to that rich young ruler, the commandments of the Lord. He did skip the last commandment, thou shalt not covet. And you remember the story, I, I've kept all these. One thing you lack, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me, you'll be glad. And he went away sad because he wasn't willing to give his heart 
to the purposes of God. Well, frankly, I don't know about you, but we're like that. We're like him. We have to battle, as our confession of faith tells us. We have to realize, God, help me to be having full contentment in my condition and have a charitable frame of our soul to our neighbor. Help me, Lord, not to be discontented with my estate in life, not to be discontented with my estate in life. And don't, Keith, have grief over the, the blessings of your neighbors, however rich they may appear to be. When I was younger, I went to the Veterans Stadium. We took our family. And one of these games, the Phillies had a pre-game. We always took hoagies. In those days, you could take stuff into the stadium. We took a big jug of lemonade, and we took hoagies, and we sat there for the warm-ups and everything. But this particular night, they had a contest. And this was the contest. They were giving away thousands of dollars in coins. And the announcer said they had picked, I don't know, five or ten people to uh, go out there and at home plate. They left home plate, and they went out past second base almost into the outfield. And there were coins and piles of coins all over, half dollars, silver dollars, quarters, dimes. And they told the contestants, they gave them each two bags. And they say, you can fill as much money in that bag as you would like. And once you fill your bag, you have to come back holding those bags out straight. And you can't bend your arms. <laughs> Guess what happened? <laughs> Too many people's eyes were bigger than they had strength. And as they filled the bags, oh, we're going to fill it up. Do it, do it. Get that money. It'll be free for me. And then they started from near the outfield coming back. And as they're running, they're, they're, going, <laughs> they're going like so. And their arms drop. And they were all that overfilled or disqualified. All the money that they thought they could get free was gone. You know, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might be rich. The grace of our Lord, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Dr. Jack Murray had a sermon on that, it was, first of all, the riches of his grace. Oh, that rich man, that foolish man who died that night. Oh, if he could only go back and give all the money that God had given to him to help his neighbor, to give to the Lord's work, to help those struggling in poverty. Oh, he would just love the riches of his grace. But that leads to the second point of his sermon, the poverty of his cross. Christ, for our sakes, became very poor. Poor unto death. Poured out his soul for us. Suffered the agony of nothingness that we might come and be found right in God's sight through Jesus Christ. And then that his poverty would make us rich, the, the riches of his people. 
I just have this simple question tonight. What are we living for? Fading riches or kingdom treasure? Some of their men here today and some of you who are educators know of a particular book, a thesaurus. How many have used a thesaurus, thesaurus over the years? Why, of course. Peter Roger put that together in 1852. And it's basically a treasury of words and synonyms, synonyms and expressions similar to the very word that is highlighted. You know that the Greek word for treasury, for treasure in our text tonight, is the word thesaurus. Thesaurus. It's the treasure that God wants us to be aware of, to seek, to find joy and expression in serving him. He is, did you notice too in the text how much it speaks of financial terms, adding and treasure and giving and possessions? God is quite aware of money and our needs. I think probably not one of us here tonight left the house or the apartment that you're in and you're wearing the only article of clothing that you have. If you're like me, you have more clothing that you probably need and your closets are stuffed. And uh, by, uh, by looking at you tonight, I don't think any of you are starving, although after my message you might be <laughs> we have so much our pantries are full our freezers are loaded our cabinets have all kinds of spices and so forth and so on God has given us and he has given us freely the verses that follow where he says uh, give, give money to the poor and so forth he isn't saying get rid of everything because too many times in Scripture, Christ spoke of stewardship, using our money wisely and faithfully. God is a God of giving. The Scripture here tells us that in one instance in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son was given his inheritance by his father. Inheritances are not wrong in themselves. If we'll have a family, of course of course you want to leave something for your family after the Lord takes you to glory. But Jesus encouraged us when it comes to these things of provision not to worry, not to be anxious, not to fear, be fearful. My mother was uh, an orphan. Her parents died when she was very young raised by her sisters. And... Uh, Mom was very much affected by the poverty of her youth. And God blessed her uh, after she uh, married my dad, and God gave them enough to sustain in their life. But when my mother was old, <laughs> even in her uh, 70s, when we went outside to cross a street, she would say, because she was always worried, she was nervous. And she said, Keith, hold my hand. We're going to cross the street. <laughs> she wasn't asking for my help. She was offering her help 
to help her 50-year-old son across the street. Now, I knew mom had some dementia, but she always, she grew up worrying a lot. And I, I learned to see that. Doesn't mean that I don't worry, but God knows our needs. And he has said in this scripture, how much more will our Father give us? Our Father knows we need some things. We need things. And the one word there in the Greek is a word that can be translated right into English. If I said pizza tonight, some of you might get a craze for pizza. If I said popcorn, my wife likes popcorn Sunday nights, you might get a craze for popcorn just sitting here thinking, I'm going to get home after worship and I'm going to eat popcorn. Well, guess what? The Greek word there is craze. God knows we have crazes. It's a transient infatuation. We get crazy for it. We get so earnestly caught up in it. And God says in this scripture, your father knows you have need those things. Don't worry. Look at the ravens and look at the lilies. God knows that you have need of all these things in all the world. All those nations seek after those things. Yet God provides for everybody, doesn't he? Of course he does. But he particularly provides for his own people. And so he says, first, seek his kingdom. And all these things will be added. It's not wrong for storing up things that rich fool there was a great biblical example of Joseph storing up things to save the Jewish people and all Egypt at the same time. God knows, and he has storehouses, and he's sta saved millions of people who have been seeking God. First Peter talks about our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is, first of all, im perishable. It won't spoil. So when we set things aside for God, unlike so much in this world, it perishes. Do you ever have a new car? Let's see. You. Yeah, afraid to put your hand up. <laughs> well, I've had a couple new cars. I don't have them any longer. Why? They perish. Years ago, when I, not long after we were first married, before we had kids, my wife made delicious blueberry cake. And there were just the two of us. And uh, as the days went by, uh, she had it out on the counter. And uh, we enjoyed it. And she was watching probably her diet, so she didn't eat it all. But uh, I enjoyed myself at it all. And finally, I got the last square of the cake. And I ate it took one bite, one bite, one bite, and so forth. I got down to the last bite, and it tipped over. And the bottom was all green and moldy. It was spoiled. I like to say I had enough penicillin for three years. <laughs> but that's what happens. Things in this world spoil. And Peter also goes on to say in that first chapter, 
It's undefiled. There's no pollution in it. The plan of God is when we set aside for him, when we give to his work, to his missions, to his service, to ministries like Water Street, it's not going to be defiled. I'm reading a book by McCulloch. It's about the Brooklyn Bridge. It's a number of years old, of course. But I was surprised that Tammany Hall and Boss Tweed had a big hand and with his underlings in, in, a, in the uh, formation of the Brooklyn Bridge. There's a lot of corruption there. Unbelievable stuff. Records weren't very well kept. Finances were pushed over this way or that way. People that should have gotten didn't, and people that should, should have gotten or should, should not have gotten did. There's corruption in this world. Undefiled. Peter says, put your gifts up there, serving the Lord. And it's also unfading. Unfading. Last Christmas, my wife and I, when we went over to see our children in London, took a, uh, a week's vacation up in Liverpool. Now, if I say Liverpool, I think you might think of something. But I won't ask you what you're thinking of. Because I want to tell you something more important. You'll hear the pastors sometimes refer to the Bible preacher and commentator, J.C. Ryle. You've heard of him. Dr. Rogers, Dr. Walker, and other pastors have made reference to him. J.C. Ryle was a wonderful pastor and teacher in the city of Liverpool before those guys you're thinking of were even born. He did his ministry throughout the 1800s. But after he died, the people of Liverpool and the church, the big church there, built a cathedral. And we visited that cathedral. And I visited uh, Westminster Cathedral many years ago. But this cathedral is two football fields long, 600 feet in the sanctuary. You should see the windows, glorious uh, windows uh, of color, biblical scenes all throughout, nooks and crannies here and there, classrooms here and there. Boy, we could use some of those classrooms, I know, here. But it is a beautiful cathedral. The cathedral was begun in the 1910s, and they're still adding on to it. But you know what? It's fading. The gospel is not preached in that beautiful, fantastic cathedral. You say a word, and at the very back it's heard. So well are the acoustics performed. But the gospel is not there. Thank God. So far, God's kept Westminster Church online to serve. And we trust and trust till the Lord comes that we will be faithful in serving. But that pulpit is no longer orthodox. Just a few thoughts before we close. This is God's advice to a little flock who have little faith. God's pleasure is for us with what he gives. He tells us in this passage several times, but look at verse 32. Fear not. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
sell these possessions. Don't hold on. Use stuff for your kingdom, Lord, for where your treasure is, where your thesaurus of goods is laid away, or with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. There was a young couple that was married in 1971. <laughs> that couple was Becky and me. <laughs> Next year is our 50th. But I, uh, I began preaching in 1970. I was telling the pastors this past week at our prayer time that uh, I'm just, I'm feeling old and tired. I'm soon going to be 76. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, in 1970 of September, I was called to my first church, and I preached my first sermon <laughs> in 1970, quite a few years ago. And now it's 2020. It's 50 years since I preached that sermon. But I remember my first paycheck was $75. And if I was going to tithe to the Lord, it would cost me $7.50, 10%. And I said, oh, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do that because I had a car to pay for. I had to start buying things for a place to live. And I hadn't yet proposed to Becky, although I was sort of thinking about it. But, uh, um, you know, 50 years ago, I asked the Lord, help me to do that. And I think, right, Becky? I think we've been tithing ever since. 10% of what God gave. Now, some, some of you are younger, and I know it's hard as a family. You think, how can I do that? Let's just say it this way. Let's just say, if you make $500 a week, $500, and you say, well, I can't afford to give $50. I'll give $5 to the Lord's work. Think about it now. I don't want to make anybody guilty. But let me ask you this. If God gave back to you 10 times what you give to him, here's my question. Could you live on 10 times $5 for that week? Could you live on $50 a week? Think about it. I must tell you, you know, it's, it's not easy, but it was a blessing and God's kept us for nearly 50 years. We've always had food on our table. We've always had enough clothing. And God has provided. There have been tough times, but God has provided. It's a blessing to be giving to the Lord's work. Jesus said, your heart will be where your treasure is. Now, if your treasure is God, the greatest person, the Savior of all of us. If he's your greatest treasure, you're going to love him because he first loved you. And you're going to want to give to his work for his kingdom. You'll love the Lord. You will serve the Lord. Your treasure will be in heaven where it won't fail. I mentioned George and Eva Wellsford. As I got to know them, I found out they had no children. 
And um, the Lord, I served there in the summer of 69 up in the Buffalo area at the Bible Presbyterian Church. And uh, I was invited back to uh, a 25th anniversary of that church. They had all the former youth pastors come back. It was a very nice time. And I was talking with some of the men I had known. Some of them had quite grown, and many of the boys and girls had grown up to young women and men. And uh, I was told, oh, did you know about George Wellsford? I said, no. Well, he and Eva died a few years ago. I said, oh, they're with the Lord. Amen. They had no children. But George and Eva left all that they had to that church for its ministry and missionary enterprise. This was in the early 80s. And the equivalent of money that they left to the church, hold on to your seat, in today's estimation would be $2 million. They just lived a simple lifestyle, a humble home. Nobody knew that for all their years of working, they were setting aside. Yes, if they needed an emergency, it would be there. But they had no children. But their greatest joy was to lay up treasure in heaven where the moth doesn't come, where rust does not decay, where God's purposes can be accomplished even after you're gone. And I know why they didn't tell anybody. I found out that they named the basement hall where people met, Wellsford Hall. <laughs> but George and Eva would not have cottoned to that because they wanted it to be all for the Lord. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to be not greedy. O oh, Lord Jesus, you left all and came to earth to humble yourself. You left the riches and glory of heaven to serve and save so that we might be sought and brought into the kingdom where eternal riches and treasures will last into the ages in your glorious reign. Father, forgive us. We battle greed. We look at others. Oh, Lord, let us be contented with such as we have. For your work in us, your Holy Spirit working in us, and your kingdom in our vision. For Jesus' sake, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.